Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God. Good morning. We are currently going through our sermon series on the book of Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul. And as we're going through this theme of the meaning of the church, that was one of the main themes uh, for the Apostle Paul. We see that there are two real big picture themes as we go through Ephesians. Number one, that in Jesus Christ, you and I are reconciled and unified with him. But secondly, as we go into the latter part of Ephesians, we see that as we are unified in him, you and I are unified to one another, hence the title, The Meaning of the Church. And as we dive into the book of Ephesians, specifically chapter 2, and as we close out, I ask that you would join me in prayer this morning. Lord God, we want to lift this time up to you this morning. Lord God, we are all in need of grace. We are all in need of a risen Savior. Lord God, we are all in need of mercy in light of our sin and suffering. So Lord God, for every single person in this room right now, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you will be with us. Lord God, you are Emmanuel. Lord God, and I pray, Lord God, that right now in this room, as we hear your word, your revelatory word, it will be revelation upon us and you will speak to us. Lord God, wherever we are, wherever we stand, Lord God, we pray that you will convict us of our sin. And Lord God, that you will convict us of of our need for you, Jesus in light of hope and glory. I pray that you will use me, work in me, Lord God. I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hand, so may you use me accordingly to your strength. We praise you, we thank you, we give you all of the glory. We thank you in your son's name we pray, amen. Now today, the household is broken. In fact, the household today is more broken than they have ever been. And whether or not a child's parents are married or divorced, it has a massive effect on his or her future. And although statistics aren't everything, statistics show that these households that are broken, they will continue to be broken and possibly get worse. See, unfortunately, the growth in the number of children born into broken families in America has become a very sad pattern. In 1950, 12 out of every 100 born would experience a single-parent household. But a more recent study would show that 58 out of every 100 born would be raised in a single-parent household. So the household today in many ways is just simply a reflection of the brokenness within our families today. But when the Apostle Paul, he says that we are members of God's household, Paul is giving much hope 
of our true home. The Apostle Paul, he's not referring to the broken household that these statistics reflect in present society, but rather Paul is speaking of a household that promises the Christian of the most safest place of honor, joy, and renewal. That in Jesus Christ, we are members of God's household, and it's in this status that should shape the Christian in a new and radical way. What does it mean to be a member of God's household? I have three points for us this morning. That as a member of God's household, there is acceptance. Secondly, there is an assurance. And finally, access. First point, acceptance. If you read verse 19 with me, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. I'll stop right there. Now, when we read verse 19, the first word to highlight is consequently, meaning the apostle Paul, he's trying to draw out some type of implication from the preceding verse. So when you look at verse 18, Paul says, for through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. That in Jesus Christ, the doors are now open and you are no longer left in wilderness. Now, what is important to know that when in verse 19, the Apostle Paul is specifically referring to the Gentiles. So in verse 19, when he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, he, the you is specifically a Gentile. Now, what, who was a Gentile? See, Gentiles were simply non-Jews. They were considered second-class citizens, and they were people that were socially unaccepted. And they were unaccepted simply because Jews believed that Gentiles were pagans who did not know the true God. But the Apostle Paul tells us that in Jesus Christ, what we see in verse 18, that there is a access that in this access in Christ alone, that the dividing walls of hostility have been destroyed. It is now broken. And now Gentiles now have access and they are accepted into the household of God. That in the full unity within Jesus Christ, it includes everyone despite any broken past or any socially unaccepted background. The point is this, just as the Gentiles are accepted into the household of God because of Christ, acceptance in the household of God is solely based on the person and work of Christ for you and I. That our acceptance is not based on our works, it's not about what we do, but it's about Christ's works and what was already done. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that the world tells us that acceptance is based on our works and that for many of us in this room, if we're honest, it often creates these false presuppositions about how salvation is granted. So if you think about it, if you want to be accepted into the work field, well, then you have to achieve certain quotas. You have to do an excellent job. You need a job promotion. 
If you want to be accepted into a university, well, you have to have excellent grades, you need to partake in extracurricular activities, and you need to have the best SAT scores. To receive any type of acceptance letter, you essentially have to work for it. And in the same way, we function in a way where we think God gives us an acceptance letter based on our own works and our self-holiness. And then what happens? We then find ourselves in this vicious cycle of self-deception, self-pride, and self-glory simply because we are not trusting that our acceptance is based on the person and work of Jesus. See, the gospel tells us that we don't earn an acceptance letter based on our works, but an acceptance letter was freely given because of Christ's work on the cross. Listen, I want to say this as brother and friend. If you function in a way where you are working for your acceptance towards God rather than God's acceptance of you in Christ, hear me, you will live a very miserable and hopeless life. You will never experience any joy nor will you experience any freedom because you aren't functioning in the light of glory, but you are functioning in light of fear, enslavement, and you're functioning essentially as what verse 19 says, as a stranger because you don't know where your home truly is. And I believe that for many of us, it's because of this misunderstanding of acceptance, so many people leave the church today. Because somewhere down the line, they started to believe that Christ's acceptance wasn't enough for them. And as they come to this falsehood that it's not for them and it wasn't enough, they begin to look elsewhere for their acceptance. All to realize that it's these things that they look for are actually telling them of how unaccepted they actually are. And I just want to let you know this morning, if you are in this room, there is no sin too great. There is no suffering too heavy that prevents you from entering the throne of grace and the household of God. You are welcomed. You are accepted. This leads to our second point. In Christ alone, by faith alone, and grace alone, you and I are accepted. And secondly, it leads us to our assurance. Verse 19 through 20. But your fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, what I love about this verse is not only does Paul tell the Gentiles that they aren't strangers and foreigners, you are no longer on the outside, but then he affirms the Gentiles an affirmation that they are now in the inside because of access, and they are no longer strangers and foreigners, but in Christ alone there's a radical change. And now, verse 19 says that they are now citizens with God's people and members of of the household, meaning not only are they accepted into the household of God, they are assured of their seat at the dining room table with God. How do we know this? Well, 
Paul tells the Gentiles about these new rights that they've never had before. First, he says that they were citizens and now they are members. When you look at citizens with God's people, citizens, uh, they had full protections and rights in the city. Meaning that when they're on the outside, they, didn't have, they don't have to worry anymore, that they don't have to experience any type of per persecution based on their status. Secondly, on top of that, we see that there are now members of the household. And in the Roman world, a, a member of the household, it was always associated to refuge, and it was always associated with protection from the father of the household. So when the Apostle Paul, he's declaring that Gentiles are citizens and members, Paul is assuring them of their acceptance that because of inside access, they are also protected from what lies on the outside. In the same way, when seasons of suffering arrive, and they will, we will always have a steadfast stronghold that is keeping us. In Jesus Christ, we will not be shaken, for we have a heavenly Father that protects us from our greatest fears and our longest seasons of suffering. That in the household of God, you and I are protected. If I can explain. I remember when I was uh, in junior high, um, I had this very traumatic experience where I had to go through this bullying situation. And it was about when I was seventh or eighth grade, and there were these three guys in particular who were first my friends, um, you know, started messing with me a little bit. And I actually did begin with the friendship, and we had a good time, but I've come to notice as time went by, month after month, there started to become this corrosion, and in this friendship, they started, you know, teasing. And then as there was more teasing, these three guys would be a little bit more aggressive. And in this relationship, they would then slowly begin to start uh, stealing a lot of my stuff. They started stealing like my CDs and my money straight from my house. They started to begin to harass me. I mean, there was this, you know, this moment, you know, it was really tough for me. I'm seventh or eighth grade, I don't know what to expect. And now I'm getting you know, bullied and harassed. And I remember I'll never forget there's this one day in particular we got, where it got really, really bad. I remember I was outside, not too far from my house, and these three guys, they circled me and they ganged up on me and they demanded um, everything that I had. So they demanded all of my CDs. That was cool at the time, right? They said I would give me all the money that you have, $5 or so, whatever, but they wanted it all. And they said, if you don't, you know, we're going to rough you up. I remember the one kid, probably wasn't true, he threatened me with a gun. You know, this is all probably fake, but in the moment, I'm, I'm scared. I'm paranoid. I'm in fear and anxiety because I don't want anything happening to me. So in this one moment, they told me to go home. I ran home, and I got everything, and I was ready to pack it up and bring it to them. And I remember I'm at home, and I'm packing everything up. I hear the door knock. I hear a loud banging, and I knew that it was them. I remember panicking, and there's this flood of fear and shame that overcame my soul, because not only is it now about me, now I'm affecting the household. But all of a sudden, 
um, I hear my dad. And my dad, who does not speak English very well as a Korean immigrant, what was so clear was the profanity that began to come out of his mouth. Loud and clear. I was like, that's the best English I've ever heard you say. And as I'm watching this unfold, uh, my dad and my friends, I hear them arguing. I'm, I'm like scared. I'm pretty shook. I'm like in the corner because I don't know what's happening. I'm kind of fearful. In the moment, I'm watching this unfold where my dad is on the outside yelling at these three punks from the outside, and they're cursing back and forth and back and forth, and I'm watching, and all of a sudden, I don't know, I guess there's a moment in every man's life when you just can't take it anymore. So I saw it unfold. I see him go to the, the, the living room closet. He gets a golf club. He goes out, and um, he literally just starts swinging this club. And all just to say, they will never bother me again. In my household, because of my acceptance as a son, I was assured from my dad that he would protect me from outside circumstances that made me feel unacceptable. In the same way, there are and there will be seasons and circumstances that will make you question of your acceptance. But remember that Jesus Christ, a protector of your soul, a protector of your heart, for his name's sake, your blessed assurance, he has you covered. So we can declare Psalm 27, verse 1, that says that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? How do we know we are assured of our acceptance? The Apostle Paul tells us in verse 20. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, we often sing this often, uh, many times, and we often hear that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, but what does this specifically mean? Well, Psalm 118 verse 22 helps us. Psalm 118 verse 22 says that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I'm going to say that again, Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, for he was the stone the builders rejected. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Psalm 118 as he was rejected on the cross from God and as he was rejected from the world. It was in this rejection that would declare him as cornerstone, that the precious cornerstone was tested through the ultimate rejection on the cross and the stone was breaking down to the point of death. But what do we see on the cross? That it was in the conquering of death that proved that the stone was precious it would not be broken and it will be solidified and we will see that on the cross see if I can say it this way God unleashed the ultimate rejection on Jesus that we see on the cross so that he could be our cornerstone when the world's rejection unleashes on us Isaiah 28 verse 16 declares 
See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Church, beloved, will you consider relying on this tested, precious cornerstone in your season? Then when all things fail, when idols start to fail you, when circumstance starts to consume you, will you come and consider that all you have left is a cornerstone that will hold you down, that it is a sure and firm foundation? Would you believe that with me? Would you consider that with me? I know I need to be reminded of that every morning of my life. That in light of fear and anxiety, there is always some type of insecurity and fear and doubt. And every moment, even this morning, as I'm preparing this sermon, as I'm on my way on the road, I needed just a subtle reminder of God's goodness that in light of that, that he is my blessed assurance. My hope is that it will be the same for you. And this leads us to our final point access. Read verse 21 and 22 with me. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, when you look at verse 21 and 22, it's important to note that in the Greek, when he talks about the whole building, in the Greek is actually is being joined together and being built together. Meaning that when the Apostle Paul is speaking about this uh, building in this holy temple, it's being built, it's an active verb, meaning that it's happening, that it means to build upon to finish the structure of which the foundation has already been laid, meaning it's not necessarily complete, you know, uh, already but not yet. And here Paul tells us that we are being built in the moment, in the process, in the season, that we are being built so we could be a temple, a dwelling in which God lives. Now, whenever we see the temple of God throughout Scripture, it's a dwelling place where the Spirit of God will reside. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. See, according to Old Testament prophecy, the temple at Jerusalem was to be a place where all nations at the end times would come to worship the living God. The point about the temple is this. For you and I to be a temple, it means that there has to be much construction where the gospel must expose us of our sin and suffering for the sake of holiness. See, this is what I mean by access. Just as Jesus Christ gives us access to the Father, to his household where the apostles and prophets reside, in the same way, Jesus Christ must have access to every chamber of your heart, 
every dimension of your soul, and every fiber of your fears, failures, suffering, and sin for the sake of building you as a temple. See, if we are being built to be a dwelling place, what does this tell us? It tells us that there's going to be much suffering in our lives. But when he says that it's for the sake of building a temple, it's the understanding and the proof that your suffering is not in vain, that God is working in every single moment of your life. And as he is working in the conflict, as he is working in the brokenness, is actually doing something and is prepping you, is building you so that you can be a temple for his glory where the spirit will reside. It's the proof and the confirmation of Romans 8:28 that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose Christ is currently building you and you are simply under construction I don't care if you've been to church your entire life I don't care if you've been to church last week no matter what you and I We are never complete. Just as Jesus Christ gave us access to the Father through his sacrificial death on the cross, in the same way, if true, Christ alone now has access to the depths of your soul. Surrender to his truth for the sake of freedom. Just as Christ gave us access to the Father, which you consider allowing God to access you. Now, practically, how does this access play out for us today? Well, looking at verse 21 and 22 again, it's very clear for the Apostle Paul there is this big community emphasis. We know that because one of the main themes of Ephesians is that, uh, uh, that, that Christ has united people from all nations to himself and to one another in the church, right? That's the whole point, right? That it's no longer just Jew, but Jew and Gentile. So what does that tell us? That Christians are the temple of God corporately and is belonging to the church where God meets with his people in true gospel community. Meaning, if we're really serious about this notion of access, and if we believe that Jesus Christ is our access and that he has access into our lives, well, I think that plays out practically in the context of our local church, that you and I were members of God's household, and in Christ, there is no race, there is no status, there is no gender that should be creating any type of discord. The reality is there will be, but we fight through that, and we pray through that, and we repent through that. But when we focus on Christ, the one who builds life, everyone in this room in the same way are called to build one another up in truth and love. See, as a member of God's household, I want us to consider this. So if we're serious about access and maybe considering other people and relationships have access into your life as you access into others, I want us to remember this, that the building always needs maintenance and renovation. Meaning that things might get a little bit tough. Things might get a little bit hard. Now, a lot of you guys may not know, but this room in particular that we worship at, um, I've come to the realization that this room is a bit older 
And uh, it needs much, much maintenance, as some of the guys here know. But in light of maintenance, because it's a little bit older, there's a natural breakdown as it gets older, there's going to need more and more of it. Well, in the same way, in light of God's household, in light of relationship and community, the reality is sin and suffering is a natural breakdown in the household of God. Just as the building constantly needs lights to be replaced in the context of the church, we may need to be light unto darkness. Just as the building needs renovation because walls are breaking down, we need to be restorers and rebuilders of hope, faith, and love in light of gospel truth. But may you remember that as there is a natural breakdown and these things will come, we have our hope in Christ's cornerstone, our foundation. And may it allow us to always desire God's household to be rebuilt for the sake of his glory. If Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our lives, and in this process he's building you as a holy temple in the Lord, in the same way, consider Christ's cornerstone as the process of building his church as a holy temple in the Lord. That as a member of God's household, will you allow your acceptance in Christ accept others? Will you allow your assurance in Christ assure others? And just as Christ has access into your life, will you allow others of God's household have access into yours? Would you join me in prayer this morning?